Welcome to Too Much Movie, a podcast that gets lost in those movies that are too much in the best possible way. There are movies aplenty, and episodes are cheap. Every working hard on can have his own podcast, and in every podcast, a happy Podern family. You can have Chris Candy, Rob Belushi. You can even discover the work of L.A. Confidant, Jordan Harper. They say life's good in the City of the Angels, and we're about to find out. That's what this podcast will tell you anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Too Much Movie, a podcast really of a murderer's row of films that each of them could have entire one heat minute style, minute by minute unpackings and examinations. And even the first film, I have actually pitched to one of the guests in our little quattro that is uh, joining you today um, as an individual show that we could do minute by minute, but he's too busy and too talented and on to his own thing. So he's not going to be doing that. But today, nonetheless, we are getting bloody Christmas together. I have Chris Candy, Rob Belushi, and the writer of the LA Confidential Pilot, Jordan Harper with me on Too Much Movie to talk about LA Confidential. Gentlemen, welcome to this new show on One Heat Minute. What the hell is it? We're figuring it out as we go. <laughs> <laughs> that is Chris. It's a fully improvised uh, podcast with a set script. <laughs> and the script is LA Confidential. <laughs> that is Rob. And people who know One Heat Minute Productions know Jordan Harper. Jordan, welcome back, my friend. Hey, always, always a pleasure to be here. So really what we wanted to do was kind of talk. We wanted to get together, Rob, Chris, and I. Um, we had a meet cute about a year ago talking about heat. Um, it was almost like an it was like a, a famous unaired episode of One Heat Minute, us just shooting the breeze <laughs> while these guys were talking, while they were watching Heat together. Um, we decided we wanted to get together. So this ah. is going to happen every month um, uh, that we do this. So we chose LA Confidential. Chris gave this. Well, wait a second, us. Blake. I'm still sorry to interrupt you, but Chris and I were over Twitter. Chris said, I'm about to watch Heat. And I called him immediately and I was like, <laughs> same time, same time. We'll do it at the same time. Yeah. We'll at the same time. <laughs> and you responded over Twitter, let me know when y'all are doing that. And and we were like, oh. I was like, Chris, it's it's you know the yeah, man yeah. with the scrolls from Heat, <laughs> and you called in and we all chatted while we were while we were watching yeah. it was it was it was pretty special look it was pretty yeah, special what, for it me it was very pandemic connection chris and i hadn't hung out for a while it was, it was just a nice organic moment yeah and I, I i like was uh mentioning earlier to blake like rob and i have known each other for a long time and um we kind of have like connected over the last several years over like very specific movies. And like, you know, our, <laughs> our friendship is kept up on Twitter by this, like where someone will say like, Oh, I'm watching, uh, I'll be like, I'm watching Die Hard with a vengeance. And then, you know, Rob will come back with like uh, hook line and sinker, you know, he'll, he'll just have a <laughs> very specific um, like, you know, one ups in regards to these movies and like, I just can see within Rob, which is great. Like we both have this appreciation for these types of movies that I, I hope that we talk about a lot on too much movie where it's just like, there, there's so much body to them. And I think in, in watching them with one pass, like you don't get the full movie, you yeah. know, and we were talking before the pod. It's like, 
Heat is clearly a movie that you can easily do yeah. one minute each of a podcast on, and you still won't fully get it because there's just so much. And and uh, I, speaking, I, speaking to the person for 166 movie, there's now like 181 episodes. It's still not done. It's still not done. If the right guest comes along, it'll always there will always be more to say. Oh well, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's just uh, these are like remarkable movies, and so um, I'm just stoked to get into it because yeah, LA Confidential to me, uh, as I've been prepping for this pod, I've like been watching it and going like, Jesus Christ! Like I think I watched it to like the last viewing I saw. I was showing my girlfriend it, and I'm going like, Oh, this is what LA Confidential is about. Like I fully didn't even understand <laughs> it until like like then, you know. So um yeah it's it's just like a per it's like oh and the only reason that was is because she was like so is this because this person thinks that this is and i'm like yes oh wait i just learned it for the first time right there <laughs> so yeah uh this will be this is perfect for uh, a pod of of uh this nature for us to get together and rob uh, i mean it's it, it's one of my i, I remember watching it when, it when it came out and it was immediately one of my where did favorites you see it? and where did you see it for the first uh, time do you remember I don't. I don't. That will be one of many moments that we cut from this podcast. No, <laughs> I don't. I just remember it being um, like one of my favorites. And then I watched it a bunch. I loved it so much. Um, and um, and then I got into the Elroy of it all. Right. I started reading the, the novels and I started with Black Dahlia in 2003. And then I just tore through them and read the book and white jazz, I lo loved it. Um, and now I watch it like four times a year. But, but to Chris's point, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, watching it now, I, I'm always so immediately thrown into just like passive viewer on this movie. It's just such an enjoyable watch and, and trying to, like, like you were saying, Chris, watching with a agenda um it's it's amazing how much the movie pops you know the symmetries and right. the character arcs and uh, the lines the, the the lines of dialogue that are out of elroy and um you know just the, the surface first substance kind of very la centric uh themes i just uh, i loved it again a, i always will there's a really good documentary that came out um, called Shotgun Ride Los Angeles. Are any of you familiar with that? It's um, it, it was my friend of mine had a magazine called Stop Smiling Magazine out of Chicago, and uh, they did a Los Angeles issue and they had a supplement that came around along with the L.A. issue. And it was this documentary that um, I'm blanking on the director's name, but he did the Fred Rogers documentary. Um, He's a documentary filmmaker, and he basically did this early when he used to be like a producer for Hugh Hauser. Um, he did this one documentary. He's like the 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 golden boy right now for documentaries. He's very good at it. Um, but there's this one called Shotgun Ride Los Angeles that he did, and it is this like '90s take on LA culture, and it's got all these incredible Angelinos in it and Elroy's in it, and he's a total freak. It's like his whole his whole story is like him like <laughs> pretending that he's breaking into people's houses and sniffing panties and like it's <laughs> fucking gnarly. It's so wild. 
And that was my early entry to Elroy because I'd seen LA Confidential and then I get Elroy and, and like, you're right, Rob, like you do not get a movie like LA Confidential without, you know, James Elroy. And, and of all of his films quite, or of all, excuse me, all of his books, like LA Confidential is easily the best uh, rendition of his, because Black Dahlia was, was enjoyable, but like, it's a confusing movie to watch. It doesn't definitely have that symmetry to it. It like, it definitely doesn't pop as well. And like, there is something, and, and I jokingly say it, and it's true, like LA Confidential is a Christmas movie. You know, it starts off like it's a very much a Christmas yes. movie. And, um, you know, it, it, it's like, but <laughs> in it, its sense, like it totally shifts from that into being like this like whole other thing. But that's what gets me about the film when I first start watching it. It's like, it's Christmas. It's Christmas in LA and, and we're all in, you know? And it really, for me, movies that have a tone and a world Spielberg does it really well. You know, um, you get this sense when you're watching LA Confidential, like I'm in, I'm in LA Confidential world, let's fucking go. And so I just am so excited to be talking about it. Now, finally, we've got Jordan Harper, who, if you guys haven't already heard me gush about him, is the author of the LA Confidential pilot that uh, so sadly didn't get picked up, but has now like got a cult life of its own as like a companion piece to this movie. Uh, and it's so awesome. All of our friends sort of gather around and whenever, like in the pandemic, even there was like a screening, right, Jordan, that you you kind of virtually attended. Was that right? It was the uh, the Austin, the ATX Festival in Austin. Uh, we were supposed to screen it at a, at a big showing there in Austin in, uh, you know, uh, 2020. <laughs> Uh, so that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. So this year they didn't do the festival at all, uh, 2020. And so, um, this year they did a virtual screening of it, which was, uh, really interesting to do, but yeah, I, uh, I, I did the LA confidential pilot, uh, Walton Goggins and a lot of other very, very talented people. Um, and it, it was tremendous fun and it is not a TV show. But it, it's, I, I've, I've, I've seen a good part of it now. It's, it's like, you just crushed it. Like you really like did an amazing job capturing the tone of LA Confidential. Like it, it, it feels, there's elements that feel like the movie, but then it's like, it's got a whole life of its own. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I tried, no, I tried very hard. And, and you know, it's uh, obviously we were, we were working at a deficit uh, doing it for network TV. Right. Um, and the nicest thing, well, maybe not the nicest, but a, a very nice thing that somebody said to me, we did a screening of it uh, for just like cast and crew and somebody's uh, uh, friend came up to me and said, you know, I didn't notice there wasn't any swearing. Wow. And, um, I, I didn't was, either. Uh, there isn't. We have some alternate takes um, because even for CBS, I wrote a draft that was, you know, really pushed the line and so I have a couple of uh, alternate takes, particularly with Shea Wiggum, uh, who plays Dick Stenslin in the in the pilot. Uh, a couple of shitbirds that we were trying desperately to get past the censors. I actually have email correspondence between me and the uh, CBS Standards and Practices people because I have an early scene where a cop was supposed to say, hey, don't be a hard on. Um, and CBS said, you can't say that. But you, you can, he can call him a dick, but he can't call him a hard on. And I said, well, they didn't, that's not, the phrase back then would have been hard on. And I tried like three, so there's a very funny exchange with me, like really trying to defend the word um, hard on. But, you know, the truth is you don't need it. You don't need, uh, you know, the, the language necessarily. Um, 
this might not be the place to tell, but when I met Elroy after filming the uh, the pilot, I sat down with him at the Egyptian theater. He was getting ready to introduce this movie to a crowd. So cool. And uh, this was after we'd f- filmed it, but before whether or not we knew it was going to be a TV show. And uh, I sit down with him and a bunch of LAPD detectives, all of whom are dressed like they're in the 50s. Wow. And he introduces <laughs> one of them to me as phone book, um, as in that's what he uses to interrogate people. Um, and I'm not going to attempt a James Elroy impression, but he basically says, so it's for CBS. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, so you can't say, and then he went on to list a long string of words that <laughs> you can't say on CBS. You can't say on a podcast. You, you can't uh, say with anybody. You, you can't recording. say them in 2021 anymore. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and I was like, uh, you are correct. Uh, you cannot so we're saying none of those words will appear right. on the tv show um and i think he you know he understood and he was very kind to me what i did tell him he would not like the pilot which is my belief and i'm not being shy about that i just feel like you know right. um he he's ambivalent at best about the film um and they that was an r-rated film that was allowed to do things so um but he was very kind and supportive about it, it was just very funny <laughs> to uh, to get there yeah, he has an interesting LAPD shit, Berg. Get out of here. I'll call your wife to pick you up. You know, uh, I, I know we're here to talk about the movie, but the, watching that link you sent uh, was just a, a real gift. Besides your other writing that I read this year, She Rides Shotgun and Love and Other Wounds, correct? Um, yeah. Yes. The incredible. I can't wait for everybody who knows. You're inc- an incredible, incredible writer. Oh, thank but, you very much. Dude, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm so into you. I'm inside you, um, which I think I've said before. Um, this pilot, this podcast has taken a turn. Listen, Rob, Rob is right. going to push the limit of what we can say on podcast in 2021. <laughs> hush, hush. So, uh, we're here to kiss. Yeah, on the QT, very hush, hush. I'm inside Jordan Harbor. But the the pilot, um, the one thing that that I love so much about the pilot that, uh, I mean, besides, we chatted a little bit about what you did with Hush Hush Magazine and how incredibly interesting I thought it was. Um, but the character, Shea Wiggum plays Stencilin. And I believe it's a little earlier in the career. Everything takes place a little earlier. But right. it's uh, it, it was much better than the movie. The, the, Stenzelin is my least favorite character in the actual film. And in, in this, maybe he's less burnt out in this time period of his, um, and maybe it's Wiggum, but I think you set that character up to be a thoughtful thug. Oh. And it really came through and he's just a piece of shit in the movie, yeah. you know? So I, I, I went uh, to, Go ahead. That's it. That's that. That's it. Um, you know. Well, the character actor who plays Dick Stenslin in the movie is this guy named Graham Beckel. Graham Beckel yeah. was a teacher at the college I went to. He was a theater teacher at Loyola Marymount University, and so oh, wow, he is. He's just like kind of a character actor who's like worked his way through a lot of movies. But I know that. His line of this is for ours, Poncho, is so fucking crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And in the bloody Christmas scene where they're all like, we were kind of talking about like scenes and lines that we really like uh, in the movie, but 
when he says this, it's so fucking racist <laughs> and so fucking hard. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Isn't it? Am I right that yeah. he says that? He says that line, yes. Right? Yeah. This yes. is ours, Poncho. Oh my God. And then, so I'd seen the movie and then I would be at LMU and I would see the act. And he, the funny thing with like really good character actors is they're nothing like their characters yes. in real life. And he is like the most like loves theater person you've probably ever met the most like creatively artistic kind of like he, he's the most theater director you'd ever see at a, you know of course he teaches theater at Loyola Marymount I don't know if he does <laughs> anymore but you go watch his characters and he just embodies this pure piece of shit and um, yeah that character it's like again like yeah we it's like spend- drunken gazed i love how he's sitting just, in the back yeah. seat when he's introduced to it. just like he's so lit he's just sitting in the Drinking. back seat just swilling <laughs> he's swilling out of the box okay. and you're like man you're in the box and in the back you won't even sit in the front seat with bud you absolute shitbag like i really like him i like him. i'm sorry i like i like him in that moment particularly that is i agree that it's a crazy scene so I like the scene that immediately follows that where you first meet Kim Basinger and like Bud goes inside because that is all ADR that yes. scene. Like mm. if you watch that scene, it is all ADR. The, like the dialogue from the liquor store owner is so quick. Like you guys better be here soon. Like if you rewatch <laughs> that scene, it is so like off because I've seen the movie so many times and I went to school for sound design. So I'm like mm. kind of in that world. I'm going like, oh my God, this is a whole totally recreated scene. And it is just so funny to watch. I'm just like, oh my, it's, it almost is, it's like, it's such a good movie, but that scene is like almost like the room. You know, it's like the, <laughs> almost like hello doggy. It's like, hello doggy. It almost kind of gets into that territory. Um, but from there on, like the one thing I love about LA Confidential is like picking out locations. Hmm. Like, and that's what I love about Elroy is like, when I first read, I think I was reading Black Dahlia and it was like, he was talking about like driving down like Wilshire Boulevard at like two in the morning or something like that and going into Westwood. And I'm like, oh fuck. Yeah, this guy gets it. <laughs> and so when you watch his movies, like, you know, they're so LA, like I'm, I'm kind of trying to pick, oh, do I know where that location? Like, I kind of want to know where the liquor store is. And I think there's like a list. I'm sure you could find like a list that like pinpoints every location from that movie. We definitely can. And um, funny, funnily enough, um, I just want to jump back to one thing, comparison in the pilot yeah. really quickly. Uh, Walton Goggins as Jack Vincennes is better than Kevin Spacey. I'm saying it here. Um, not just because Kevin Spacey is an absolute horrible human being, but there's this a couple of scenes and one in particular in the pilot where Walton Goggins is sitting at a bar having a cigarette and right. there's like, the camera sort of does a bit of a slow push in on him and he's thinking. And I love, I don't like polished too shiny Jack Vincennes as much as I, I mean, I love him in the movie in the context of the movie, but man, I Walton Goggins has an ability to have like blustery kind of overconfident charm and also torment. And when he's having that cigarette at that bar and you're just watching like, I don't know, years of narcotics and investigations and homicide and all those things as an investigator, I'm just like the weight of the world is on his shoulders. And I think that, I love him for that because that just that wrinkle, those few extra lines on his face that that's still like right. balding a little bit and he's trying to hide it, but he just kind of knows that he's going bald. Just a couple of those little touches that Walton Goggins is so comfortable in his own skin, I just can't get enough of. Whereas I think that spacey vanity 
Although it's kind of works for the character. I just, I don't like it as much as I would like Walton. You know, I mean, first of all, Walton is, is brilliant and, and he's, um, you know, the star of my favorite TV show of all time, The Shield. And uh, I was so honored to get to work with him. Um, and I agree with everything you said, and I agree with you, that he's, he's better than Spacey, but, but also, uh, you know, I, and I've said this before, but I feel like the movie LA Confidential might be the greatest book to film adaptation of yeah. all time. Yes. Because not, I know I don't think it's better than the book. Cause I think the book is one of the greatest uh, books of all time, but they do a nearly impossible task, which is to translate this gargantuan novel into a two and a half hour movie while keeping that tone that, which is to me, the, the essential thing about Elroy is the tone that he gets inside you. And it's that buzzsaw. It's, he hits you like a tuning fork and then you vibrate the entire time. And the movie carries that off and they, they rearrange the plot and they have different people dying, different reasons. They still keep all the characters essentially the same. And they also keep a couple of, of those amazing set pieces while re rejiggering the plot and making it all work. But you know, part of what they had to do as a necessity um, was pull things. And so you know, the fact that uh, Jack Vincennes is sober and, and for very good reason is something that's completely broomed out of the movie. And it was something, if you, if you notice in the bar scene and in, in, in the pilot, he is drinking a club yes. soda. We were, gonna, we were gonna do the whole, you see him at the end putting the envelope of money because he gunned down uh, right. a couple of uh, parents when he was uh, hopped up on drugs. Um, a backstory, by the way, stole wholesale for basic instinct. <laughs> um, that is Michael Douglas's backstory in basic instinct. Um, and, uh, so we were going to get to do all that. And so Walton, you know, we, in the pilot, he, he's great, but he was really feeling himself out because it's a, it's a character that is being held back, which is not the Walton Goggins right. that people normally see. And all I could keep, I mean, he was great, but I just kept thinking, man, when we get to season two <laughs> and he starts using again, then we're going to get a whole new Jack Vincennes that nobody's ever seen before. So, um, I, but I do think, you know, you can see over and over again, you know, Dick Stensland, I think you could say the same thing is they only have enough time in that movie to give you two shades of Dick Stensland, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and you, you don't really get to see where like that intense, you just think that loyalty to Stensland is a, a purely a character of Bud White the you know loyal thug yeah um very complicated thug which we'll talk about later but you don't get to see that that real friendship yeah it's and true so, yeah yeah you you just got to leave stuff on the floor and 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 you know what we were going to try and do if we'd gone to series is like mine all the things that they weren't able to put in this movie um and somebody should still do it um <laughs> I'm available. The script's available. We'll make it work. But, Jordan, um, tell just before we jump into like really hitting our favorite stuff about this movie, um, can you please tell that share with the lads? I know you've shared with a few people before, but I just want everyone to hear it. Is what you would do retroactively if uh, someone listening to this? And please get in touch. Uh, reach out to mail at oneheatminute.com. I'll put you in touch with Jordan. Um, but if if you had a crack at it again with some of that Netflix money that's kicking around that we hear so much about, um, what would you do differently? Because I think it's almost the, it's almost a stroke of pure genius. Well, I have to preface this by saying, A, um, me from 
five years ago would kill me <laughs> when I say this. And also that James Elroy would still probably come out and kill me <laughs> if I were able to do this. But if, if I were doing it now, I would set LA Confidential in the 80s. And I would do it for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, you know, the 50s were a really long time ago at this yeah. point. You know, when you're doing the math in your head, you might go to yourself, oh, you know, the 50s, they were like 50 years ago. But no, they were 70 years ago. You know, when, when we were young kids, we weren't into the 1910s, yes. you yeah. know, like um, that cool 50s vibe that it gets farther and farther away. It's more and more meaningless to people to the point now that basically the 50s are as far back from today I'm sorry, the 80s are as far back from today as the 50s were from Elroy when he wrote L.A. Confidential. So, you know, it, and, and also to the point, um, you know, this style of 1950s has been completely beaten to death at this point in the culture. I had a rule and you, I got it from the movie. Uh, next time you watch the movie, uh, they don't wear hats in the movie. Um, and really? I, had to, I had to have a rule on set. I was like, I don't want to see fedoras because when you put those fedoras on, it just becomes, you know, uh, pastiche, whatever you want to call it. I feel like um, Black Dahlia movie had they had hats <laughs> Black Dahlia. It's not as good a movie as <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I think setting it in the '80s, you wouldn't have to lose a, a single storyline. Um, everything that is applicable about Hush Hush just becomes more of a supermarket tabloid. Um, you know, the the cops are still racist. There's still people dealing drugs. There's still serial killers. There's still that weird mix of celebrity and crime and sex. Right. And I think it would be the only way to do it now and have it feel at all fresh to people. Now, again, I get that like people might think that sacrilege, I can't say <laughs> that word, but that's what people might think of it. But I just, I, at this you point, having right. tried this, go ahead, Chris. You said it right. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Having tried it this way and 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 not being able to to sell it um, to like you know uh, HBO or somebody like that, and I'm very glad CBS gave us a shot. But um, I would be interested in trying to do this set in the '80s. In fact, like I've uh, I've talked to people about if we can't do this, then let's just do an '80s like LA cop show, <laughs> like and, right. Uh, you know, set at the with the Roxy and the Sunset Strip and all that uh, stuff. So, anyway, that yeah, that's that's what I would uh, you know try and do now. Although, like I said, I think James Elroy, who's larger than me, I have a photo with him. Uh, <laughs> it, he would just pluck my head off. So I, I don't know if it would work. Have you ever? Seen well, and you uh, would finally avoid the the weird question of what the fuck are red devils? You know. <laughs> People are constantly buying Red Devils in the 50s. I'm like, what, is, what the fuck? Is that speed? I mean, what is that? I do think that, right? Is that like, that is speed. Well, that, well, right? Red Devil must have been a speed, yeah. Right. Well, then I'm into it. If it's speed, I like it. <laughs> and I, I think Elroy was hooked on these um, where they had like, they, they had the, the amphetamines that were like a nasal spray and it was cotton soaked in like, basically amphetamine juice and you're just supposed to smell them and it would give you like a, a popper or something like that or well but like they, it was a cotton swab inside a plastic tube and you would smell it but what and i uh. elroy wrote about this um that he would break them open and swallow the cotton um <laughs> because that's how you got the real the real rush i'm not the girl who cares 
cared about money I'm not the girl it was uh, Shotgun Ryan Los Angeles was done by Morgan Neville. That's yeah. the director. And um, Morgan Neville, yeah. And uh, he and, and the Elroy point that he would have is, and this kind of ties us into LA Confidential, is that in Shotgun Ryan Los Angeles, you get uh, Elroy talking about going to Baskin Robbins in Brentwood and seeing Mickey Cohen <laughs> walking his dog. And I'm just going like, oh my God, what the fuck? Like, because Elroy, I mean, we have to get in the movie, but Elroy's got such a crazy life, right? You know, it's like his mother was murdered, right? Was that what it was? Yeah. Or his father? Yeah. His mother. So he spends his whole life basically like this brutality that shows up in his, uh, in, in, in from his trauma from all that shows up in all of his writing. And, um, and you get this sense from the guy like, he has this thing that came out, it, it was like a BBC thing on him called Feast of blood i think it's called are you guys familiar with this Mm-mm. so feast of blood is a youtube show you it was well, a it was a it was a bbc show and it is the mo- it's a catnip for me it's james elroy at the front of a table feast of death i think it is feast of death la confidential the movie is the best thing that happened to me in my career that I had absolutely nothing to do with. It was a fluke and a wonderful one, and it is never going to happen again, a movie of that quality. Here's my final comment on L.A. Confidential, the movie. I go to a video store in Prairie Village, Kansas. The youngsters who work there know me as the guy who wrote L.A. Confidential. They tell all the little old ladies who come in there to get their G-rated family flick. They come up to me. They say, oh, you wrote L.A. Confidential. What a wonderful movie. Kim Basinger was so beautiful. Is she a nice person? Yeah, she's all right. It was a wonderful movie. Oh, what a wonderful movie. Is Kevin Spacey really gay? Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful movie. I saw it four times. You don't see storytelling like that on the screen anymore. I smile. I say, yes, it's a wonderful movie and a salutary adaptation of my wonderful novel. But listen, Granny, you'll love the movie. Did you go out and buy the book? And Granny invariably says, well, no, I didn't. And I say to Granny, then what the fuck good are you to me? Yes, Feast of Death, yes. And it's him and a bunch of LAPD officers, like off-duty LAPD officers, like sitting around a table at the Pacific Dining Car in downtown Los Angeles. And they're talking about the Black Dahlia murder. And they're just talking. And then all, like Nick Nolte shows up out of nowhere, and he's just kind of in the back. And like Elroy's just kind of holding court, going like, oh, yeah, this guy over here, uh, he thinks he knows how to uh, crack the Black Dahlia murder. And then like you just sit there, and if it's like, if you want to like a good ghost story, fire this thing up on YouTube because like it is so fucking fun. It's just like all these like big jacketed vodka drinking, scotch drinking, steak eating police officers just ripping into these crime stories. And it's it's just like amazing. <laughs> the Nolte part is amazing because Nolte just pulls up and he's just sitting in the back of the room just like listening like, yeah, it's so like it's so I don't know. It's just. He was like, like, I dated the black doll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, absolutely. She didn't call me back. 
<laughs> no disrespect to Russell Crowe when I say that I think Nick Nolte, if he had been cast at the right time in his life, right, is the best choice to play. Could Bud have done White. a great Bud White. Yeah, absolutely. Did you hear Russell Crowe's audition story for uh, like because Bud White's kind of his breakthrough character? Mm-hmm. From, yeah, it's his first American about, movie. He talks about it and like how he like came here and he was just like not sure if he had it. Then he had it and. I, I thought he did a great job. You know, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be here to critique anyone's acting on these things, but I think he just, I think he did a great job. But yeah, Nolte would have also done an amazing job as that character. Look, fuck Nick Nolte. I'm here to talk about <laughs> Russell Crowe as Bud yeah, White. Let's do that. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Then, Let it go. Anyway, this is my this. No, no, I, I don't mean to be rude. I'm just saying, like, if I, I love Russell Crowe in I this do. movie. Oh yeah, I yeah. think. I think he takes like uh, my favorite. I mean, my upon rewatch, my all of my favorite scenes are now him and Kim Basinger, hands yes. down. And watching these characters expertly played, so uh, one you know, obviously Lynn Bracken. I mean, I, I don't think I'm. This isn't something everyone hasn't seen already, but it just really uh, affected me on this watch that Lynn, Brack, Lynn Bracken is a sex worker who uses uh, sex as her livelihood and is seen in one way right. with this glamorous armor over her, the armor of another woman's identity, uh, Veronica Lake. And then Bud White is this thug who used i mean a police officer the authority and violence of the police that he wears um and it's sex and violence but what they reveal to each other are tortured broken-hearted vulnerable souls that that in a blink of an eye like christy were saying they see it in that liquor store in the beginning but when bud goes to her house and, you know, he's still a bit of a prickly pear with her. Um, and she is, you know, handles it totally fine. She, she is not unused to men being aggressive and rude and demeaning. Um, but when he almost asks her out and she says, I need to know your name. But the, the one where he comes in. You have a thing for helping women, don't you, Officer White? Maybe I'm just fucking curious. You say fuck a lot. You fuck for money. There's blood on your shirt. Is that an integral part of your job? Yeah. Do you enjoy it? When they deserve it. Did they deserve it today? I'm not sure. But you did it anyway. Yeah. Just like the half dozen guys you screwed today. <laughs> well, actually, it was only two. And, like, you see this honesty in Bud White, and, and she's just broken through to him, and... Um, this this has become the most t- and, and their performances are are so great because they go you know I, the, this theme I, I kept picking up it, it, that I that I really kind of focused on was um, s- uh, surface versus substance right and and they have their surfaces down like when Bud White is upset that uh, Dudley is giving him his job back. Uh, to be a, a quote direct man, to be a thug, a, a brutal thug. Yeah. But he asks, you know, Dudley, what do you want? Yeah. What do you want? Call me, call yeah. me Dudley. <laughs> call me um, Dudley. Dudley, what do you want? 
a man of your talents lies elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but he's able to come and say, you know, do you understand me? Do, you know, do you read me? He says, you know, in technicolor, technicolor, sir. And he like snaps out of that and his armor goes back up. I, I just love these two actors in these two roles. Kim Basinger is amazing. She, you fall in love with her, but you, you know, she also um, just is everything. She's everything that, all the movie star, but one, one, one last, one last line oh, that, please, that is, yeah, please. became my favorite of the movie. And, and I know I tweeted it at you guys, but the girls in Bisbee need a little glamour. Yes. The girls in Bisbee need a little glamour. <laughs> it's one line that does for her character what Bud White's whole story about watching his mother being beaten to death. It's her whole origin story you just see a a young girl and how far away from that young girl she's she's gotten and what she's learned uh along the way to bring back to what may be a young girl still back in in bisbee arizona and you just see a lifetime in a line to me i I think she's amazing yeah the other line to me for her is we still get to act a little Yeah. He doesn't yeah. abuse us. He invests. He invests for us. And we, thanks to Pierce, we still get to act a little. Yeah. You talk about her honesty. She's so great because their their currency is honesty to each other. They just they get all the cut through. Everyone with bluster and everyone trying to rise True. through the ladder. But that line aches. That line hurts. I still get to act a little. Yeah. Like oh yeah. my god, that's the story. That's the, that's the story. You're the archetype for that. Oh, no, the, everyone's got their internal struggle in regards to like it's very clear what everyone's fighting. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the movie does a really good job at basically taking complex character structure, and you can kind of pinpoint everybody. Yes, really mm-hmm. quickly. Um, and and I, I I just I you know not to pivot from that relationship, but can we also just like talk about like fucking David Strathairn? Like, <laughs> I love Pierce Patchett. Holy shit! Mm. Like. Like I, I, he's like a favorite actor of mine who like totally just, he like just should be, he is, but he's just so undeniably great as Pierce Patchett. And like, you need that Pierce Patchett story because it's like the sex and the weirdness and like what is going on there. And the fact that that's sewn into your story is just Incredible. Chris, can I can I use yeah, can I use that segue to say my favorite one of my two favorite lines in this movie? Jesus fucking Christ! No, Mr. White, Pierce Morehouse, Patchett. Like I can't, no. I can't <laughs> yeah. get enough of that, and I feel like I almost want to start taking that in my own language. Like when people say Jesus fucking Christ. no, it's uh, Blake Henry Howard actually. You know, just just it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. in the in the book, I think that's a Lynn Bracken yeah. line. Um, that, oh, that really? Uses that? Yeah. Um, which I mean, that's the thing about this dialogue is is um, so rich that like when I was writing this script, I would literally when I got stuck, I would open up to a random page, and and find some piece of language that you could you could just steal from. I just love. I mean, you talk about favorite lines. It's such a small thing, but uh, when uh, Bud White's throwing the the dirty DA out the window, and uh, he has a whole tirade, but the first line of it is just here's the juice <laughs> and, and, and uh, he's it's such a good line reading from, from uh, Russell Crowe. And it, there's just so many um, uh, little things. If we're going to talk about the cast, obviously like the main cast is incredible. The other thing about this movie 
is it has an incredibly deep bench of character actors who are given. I mean, Strathairn, he's in more than one scene, but really he only has one real scene that he gets to work with. But there are people I really, and she is, doesn't even have her picture on IMDb. I know who you're going to say. The, Mrs. Mrs. Lefferts. Mrs. Lefferts. Wait. <laughs> oh, I was going to bring her up, dog. I know ah. you too well, Jordan Harper. Uh, I know you too well. We've oh, talked too many times. She's so good. She's amazing. <laughs> Dude. She's like stra- she's she's straight out of the Coen brothers. Like she's just. We were never properly We were never introduced. formally introduced. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, don't go in there. Yeah. yeah. She is so good. Um, the other one, and Blake, you probably know this one too, is, is the medical examiner oh, yeah. where. Uh, oh, yeah. Reading the. Uh, one of my favorite lines in, in the movie is, is, his, is his line. Uh, Nobody was a cop. You probably tried to do something. That's exactly the line I was going to bring up. It's so, there's so much. I'm so dis- sorry. No, 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 but it's so good. It's, there's so much disdain in his yeah. voice when he says that the idea that somebody would try and do something. <laughs> because these are men of action and they're fucking idiots. I mean, that's what I read. He doesn't even yeah. look up at Bud when he walks no. in. You don't even see his face. He's covered, he's covered, his face is obscured by his yeah. work. It's incredible. Well, and he also, he throws out, um, you know, when, when Exley comes to talk to him, he does throw out like about Bud White, the, probably the biggest compliment he can give, which is he's not as dumb as he looks or <laughs> yeah, something like that, you know? Right. From uh, someone who is coded as a, an intelligent person, yeah. you know? Yes. Can I, can I have to, um, I have to address the elephant in the room, the Australian elephant in the room, but this movie is honorarily Australian, right? Because we have yeah, Russell Crowe right. and Guy Pearce who like shot out of cannons and appeared in this movie together. And so it was an event, a cultural event in Oz because these two Aussie, you know, Russell Crowe, New Zealander, and then Aussie sort of um, adopted, you know, guy and, and guy Pierce, like as Aussie as it gets, you know, they're fired out of the cannon. You know, one is Romper Stomper. The other one is Priscilla queen of the desert and they come over and they're in this movie and it's just an incredible connection that they have. And if I was to just say something, honestly, I deeply regret that at no other point in their career, those two lads have not popped mm. up together, like to face oh, off yeah. or something, you know, like people always fan cast heat, but like, I want to see those two guys in another movie together because it just feels like by the end, whether they're antagonizing each other or whether they're you know joining forces and their energies are balancing together. I just can't get enough of their chemistry. So per- like Guy Pierce is just pitch perfect Exley in this to Crow's Bud. Well, I, I can't get enough of Guy Pearce in this movie. And, and uh, Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. 
a relationship beside it's their relationship and the bud and lynn relationship that fuel the movie vincennes is kind of isolated i mean he's with sid hudgens a little bit and they manipulate and exploit people and then he gets actually to manipulate and exploit the boxer who is also an incredible performance who pops up i'll just tell you he's bad anyway (laughs) Mm -hmm. tracking their relationship through the film is is incredible to to the point where at the end um where so much like one of the greatest epilogues in any movie ever you know you just want to see it go but in the end when they shake hands and just look at each other's scars and nod at each other obviously Bud White's been shot through the face, so he's not going to say much, but they just look at each other, take note of what they've been through. And, you know, Lynn Bracken's like, some men get the world, others get an ex-hooker and a trip to Arizona, which is another fantastic kind of resolution line. But um, I love uh, the, the moment that they they share a laugh, finally, and it's... All I ever wanted was to measure up to my father. Now's your chance. He died in the line of duty, didn't he? (laughs) Ed smiles at him, and then that's when they're like physically in sync. He's throwing the gun through the through the like the the uh, wall, the empty wall, throwing clips at one another. It's Mm -hmm. like a, a ballet how they cover each other's, you know, six in that shootout when Bruning and Carlisle and all those guys come through the windows and through the floor. It, it, it's a crazy thing because these, these guys couldn't get further apart when, um, you know, when they're putting uh, the young lady, I, I'm forgetting the character's name. I'm so sorry for the, the, the victim from Boyle Heights into the emergency room. And actually is like needling her for you, you know facts about who who yeah oh, who yeah and then, and then bud gets up in her face yeah yeah, yeah. his face in yeah, his yeah, yeah. Fa- yeah and it takes set i counted seven guys holding bud white back from beating the shit out of ed actually <laughs> and right in the middle of both of them in that shot when they square off is dudley smith who yeah, is right. the perfect pierce patchett is and i'm so sorry i'm going on long pierce patchett is so fantastic uh Fine, Philip. Thank you. My favorite line out of his. <laughs> he calls his bodyguard by their first name and is so overly polite. To the mustache does so much work, but he's such a great um, red herring for villain because the ultimate villain is the man who can manipulate surfaces and substance the best in the film, which is Cromwell. And what he he tells Vincennes when he's about to do the interrogation, the lad will surprise you. And sure mm-hmm. enough, he is surprised in the end by the lad. It, 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 there's so much symmetry in the film and, it, and it, it's all full circle, but Cromwell, this is my favorite Cromwell ever. And to me, after reading the books, like a perfect Dudley yeah. Smith and so angular and patrician, but also uh, glad handing and, and genial with his, boys anyway i i, can, I, I got a little he, excited i'm so sorry he will also like to show this <laughs> how confused he looks when when uh, a dying kevin spacey says rollo tomasi like 
Mm-hmm. The look on Cromwell's face is like, what? And it's like, I love, Chris. I love that you said that scene because also, I love that he's in his Jimmy Jams <laughs> and a Yeah, I can't get enough of the shock. Oh, it's so hard. Like, what's devastating is how many times you chase the dragon for the shocks in your favorite movies. Like when I saw that in the theater, I just couldn't have imagined yeah. that Dudley Smith was going to shoot him. I couldn't imagine it. And when it happened, I was like, <gasps> like there was a gasp and I'm still chasing that feeling every time I watch this movie. And I think if I just focus, like I just try and forget or let it passively wash over me, as you said, Rob, like this is a great way you can passively watch this movie. It can be great background. Um, but I just can't get enough of his unassuming posture and his clothes and then bang it's just riding your face and that scene is just ruthless yeah and his five daughters are out of town when vincent's comes i know (laughs) the lady and my five daughters are off (laughs) i i have to talk about too it's like an interesting thing with police dramas too because like the other theme in this movie is like the incredible racism that was going on during that time that still exists like and that's one of the things that also hits me. Like, the interrogation scenes are so brutal. Like, mm-hmm. you're just kind of watching mm-hmm. them, and you're going, like, holy fuck. Like, you know, this theme is, like, still crack. Like, you know, it's, like, and, and I think that that's what's, like, you know, I think sometimes there's writers, like, you know, and, and, and people who are kind of, like, telling stories, like, in Elroy. And that's one of the things I love about Elroy is he's, like, all about the brutality of every angle of, the, you know, these, these forces. And it's, like, I was working on a, a, a cop script and then I came to kind of realize like the history of cop scripts and like how embedded and this actually soaks into like you know the whole Kevin Spacey character is so true badge of honor existed like you couldn't make a cop show in Hollywood unless the LAPD oversaw your cop show you know so they were basically kind of saying like well this is how it's going to go and it's so interesting to kind of like you know when you watch it you're going like and that's what I love about Elroy is like he was able to really like give you a very solid kind of slice at how you know rough shit was and like how gnarly LAPD was and like it, it just in like a sense of like you know all is true you know what I mean it was just like it, it and and I, I I I in the rewatch of this I kept on kind of going like it was difficult to see then and it's still fucking difficult because you know this like trope within the script is like um it, it was so like real it's like damn this is fucked up like you know so i i guess it really speaks to like what i'm getting at in all of this is like the complexities and the like realities of an elroy script you know and uh, sorry of an elroy story excuse me one thing that i think is interesting a, a big change that they do from the book to the movie is in the book everybody knows that dudley smith is corrupt right uh, dudley smith is yeah. openly racist in the in the book but not just openly racist, he's openly corrupt. And the, the assumption that Elroy makes that, that a movie, uh, a Hollywood movie can't make is, well, yeah, everybody's corrupt. He's just corrupt on a level nobody can expect. So it's still an incredible shock to them that he did the night owl killing. But the fact that he, but you know, if the movie had portrayed him as a guy who took bribes and like watchdog drug deals and all that, and was openly racist, then that scene with Kevin Spacey wouldn't work because um, the audience would right. go, well, yeah, he's no a, reveal. He's a, he's a bad he's cop. Shit. Yeah. And, and Elroy is much more comfortable, you know, in the books, much more comfortable. Jack Vincennes in the book is also notably racist. Um, yes. 
in a way that is excised. I mean, they all are a little bit, but Vincennes really pushes it. Um, and again, it's just Elroy would say, well, that's, that's what it was. So that's what right. I'm going to portray. And all these cops are dirty the way that, you know, forgive me, but like all cops are comfortable with watching other cops take food on the sleeve more or less. And there, there's right. a, there's a cultural behavior that in the real world is very accepted that, that it's very difficult to portray on screen, particularly if you want the audience to think Dudley Smith isn't the villain of the movie. Um, so I, I think that's a very interesting, and, and I think for the movie, the correct change to make is to, and lean in and let him be that um, friendly guy that you just think is the, the, the nicest guy in the world. But Curtis, Curtis Hansen, who directed this, adapted it with Brian Hel um, uh, Helgeland. And I think what you, what you just said there is you then see, once you rewatch it, you rewatch all of the Victory Motel scenes of the beatings and the brut brutality. They cast in a beautiful new light instantaneously. Mm -hmm. So like, it's not as overt with the bribes and the badness, but then you see all those scenes as a guy who's protecting his patch as the person who's now dealing drugs in Los Angeles, as opposed to trying to weed out who is going to be the next person or to squash any potential like people rising up. Like it just like changes the intent of those nicely. Um, I do have to shout out one person who makes this movie for me so amazing. Dante Spinotti is the cinematographer. Oh yeah. The great Dante is obviously the cinematographer of movies like Heat and The Insider and, and Thief. Uh, he's just brilliant. And uh, this movie, like I've said it a couple of times, but like he makes this movie look so good that it makes other movies look like if you compared De Palma, who's an amazing filmmaker, and Curtis Hansen, sure. you know, arguably if you pair them together, like they're both so amazing. Like Dante Spinotti shooting this, and then like whoever shot, I'm not sure who the cinematographer is. I'll have to look that up of like the, so the Black Zygmunt, Dahlia. Uh... Uh, yeah, Zygmunt, that's who it is. Yeah, so I'm just like, I'm sorry, but Dante just got it. It just looks like LA. Mm -hmm. Like it, like, well, it, it's, it's, but that's just, a it's very, so amazing. Yeah, like, but that's a huge thing, right? Like, LA is the biggest character in this movie. I mean, mm. of course, LA <laughs> yes. confidential, but like, but I think that that's also a thing like that Rob and I really like gel on is like LA movies, you know? And it's like, there, it, it, it plays such a character in so many movies, but you can also kind of like have it be a character, but it's not there, <laughs> you know, it's playing <laughs> yes. backup. Yeah. And it's like, you know, uh, th yeah, this movie so vividly just like grabs you. And it, like I said earlier in the, in the show tonight, it was like, I want to know where Pierce Patchett's house is. Have I driven mm -hmm. by it? Like, uh, where <laughs> yeah. is the, you know, I think I went by the night owl. Did I go by the night owl right now? Like, I, I want to know where the night owl is. <laughs> yeah. I want to go. Yeah, it's yeah. probably in like Azusa or something. <laughs> yeah. My, uh... um, but, but it's true because um, quickly about Sp Spinotti, he, he got me on this last rewatch when they, when in the montage, when they're, they, sh they shoot the, mickey cohen's drug lieutenant with all the heroin and the mm. glass falls out and it's the guys across the oh dude. the pool it yeah. holds and you just see the gun smoke wisping in a circle and i feel like i feel like hansen was like watching and holding and, and he was just like god damn it dante he got me we gotta leave it in it's so beautiful it's like deep background smoke billow like we hold on it for no reason other than to like absorb the moment and wait then, that was um, this that's the same cinematographer of him, Heat. Yeah. Yeah. So that scene always, I didn't know this, that scene always reminded me 
of the glass breaking scene in Heat with the hockey scene. When he's walking, like those yeah, two scenes always the remind him. Yes. It's the same scene. Yeah. So the, 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 well, yeah, it's the amazing scene where the, the shape charge blows out all the windows and then there's a bit of tinsel that falls down in front of easy financing. Um, which is the car financing <laughs> business that's behind the car lot. And we all like, we always talk about that moment of the tinsel falling, right. the breath, the, the breath after the explosion and the patience to do that. And it's a very, like, you're like, you know, I hadn't thought too much about it before, but like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like that's oh, such that a, scene, yeah. we're going to, we're going to, we're going to hold, we're going to hold. And then you give him the option. And like Curtis Hansen's like, this is actually awesome. This is yeah. actually awesome. We're going to do it this way. Uh, I mean, the uh the but the scene you're talking about when van zandt gets killed yeah candy yeah yeah amazing and the similar fall i've texted we were in las vegas at the pool and i, I texted blake like uh bill fickner was just like chilling by the pool and i never i never bother anyone and i was just like walked up to him and i was like roger van zandt big fan and he was like Get the fuck away from me! And I'm like, cool, cool, man. Enjoy your day. We're all we're all here, fucking, you know, buying our own Barabons back. I get it. Sometimes you gotta buy your Rob, own bag, you know. Rob, you truly do the Lord's work. You it is like it. maybe like the you shittiest moment in my life. <laughs> like grown up, like around. I just he to the, that character to there me are, is there are those ones snake. Right? Yeah, there are yeah. those ones. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I, I also have to say with LA Confidential real quick too, like, and this gives a nod to another character we haven't talked about at all, but like the fucking intro to this movie is epic. Like the, the it's everything. It's, it's the music. The, it's also, it's, in fact, it's you also, could just play the intro and the, and the end and the whole thing. You don't even need the rest of the movie. Well, yeah. you know, it's the pitch. It's literally the pitch that he did when he pitched the movie to executives. He brought that collection of photos and showed it to him and said this is the movie and then yeah. literally turned that into because as like an la and maniac danny devito's voice yeah danny devito's voice is everything in that it, too but the song like the, all three of our characters are mr in between like mm-hmm. our main characters it just sets them all up what they're in in the middle of is different for each one and then chris to your point this movie is about LA. It's about the story that is fastened on to the the reality of life that covers, you know, all of like all the dark recesses that you know that we fight through and and that juxtaposition of like the machinery of LA and the derricks by uh, the Victory Motel and the constant typewriting sound over everything. It's it's very um just very created in the flash bulbs throughout not just the paparazzi but also the the mickey cone and then the uh a great moment of that of like the the metaphor of the sheen on the shit is when exley is like it's he's whining to dudley like his like he's his daddy or something he's like it's my case i got the call he's like you don't want it, Edmund, and you can't have it. Mm-hmm. But you can be my second in command. And then the camera, and then they both, they both immediately turn to the camera, and it pops. And like they're fine, they're working together after this extreme, you know, this very serious confrontation. I mean, that's the whole movie. But that's also, I yeah. wanted to bring that up to, to to pin it back to Jordan too. Like, so I've um, 
like I've been so into audible, right. And like, I've just been listening to LA confidential. Like I haven't worked mm -hmm. all the way through it, but like, just like be driving around LA and like listening to the audible version of LA confidential. And the scene where Dudley is talking about, are you willing to be, uh, you know, a person, you know, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. Like that scene is, you know, I, I clearly remember from the book, but that one translates from your pilot. And it was also very clearly in the movie. And that scene sticks out to me so well like it's just it sets it up so exact to like what LAPD is doing at that time like are you down well if you're not for heaven's <laughs> sake son don't become you well, know no I, I was going to bring this scene up too because uh as it, just as I've always been a fan of of that kind of uh precise writing where something right. just clicks together and I mean maybe this is so basic it's not even worth noting but every question that Dudley Smith asks Ed Exley is what he does at the end of the movie. Everything he says he will not do in that scene is a thing he does at the end of the movie, including shooting somebody in the back. If you know them it's to be the guilty. Symmetry. It's yeah. perfect. It's, it's that kind of like <laughs> writing that some people might find like too precise, but to me, that's just, it's just beautiful. And, uh, and it's, it is just the, um, the basic question of, of, you know, you read in any kind of, uh, you know, book or movie about this sort of stuff. I'm reading John Lacare right now. It's always the same thing of like. Sorry, Jordan. I have to say, does he? Even, you you just like blew my mind a little bit with that moment because it's something that I hadn't really thought about. And he even says, "And for God's sake, son, don't wear the glasses. No one yes. in the bureau wears them, and he's yes. not wearing his glasses. Yes. That's so good. Oh, that's no, so it's good. it's it really is. It's it's a great screenwriting great uh, oh. moment. And the the other scene that I really wanted to talk about and I just even just to flag it as truly special and I know Chris brought it up from a brutality standpoint but the uh, interrogation scene with Ed Exley running between interrogation <sighs> is one of the great scenes both in uh, crime fiction and in um, and in crime films because I've written a lot of interrogation scenes um, a lot of them with the third Australian uh, from this movie Simon Baker um I'm a baker. and they are very hard to do well and make them interesting because it's right you know other than like the the basic drama of you know getting the truth out of someone but to make them interesting and i don't know if i could ask and i guess i had my chance and i blew it if i could ask elroy one question about where do you get your ideas which is a question not everybody likes how he came up with the idea of running back and forth and playing select you know audio snippets audio did he was he just like touring a, a a station and somebody said you know they could play each other like maybe somebody told him they did that i don't know even if he didn't come up from the ether it's still a perfectly executed scene where you see both why people should be scared of ed exley because that's how smart he is and also why you should be scared of bud white who breaks it at the end and comes yeah. in and does <laughs> The one thing that, that James Elroy, great American writer, um, he loves um, he loves the uh, Russian roulette, and the the gun never goes off. And you know, there's, <laughs> there's one Elroy book. I think it might be in the Cold Six Thousand, where I swear to God, somebody loads a gun with five bullets in one empty chamber and spins it and pulls the trigger. It still never goes off. He loves that trick, but. Um, it's it truly is it's um just from a like technical standpoint of like um you know this boring the interrogation scene and you get uh, when i when i when i did la confidential what i tried to do is 
uh, always por que no las dos, or why not both? Like, why does something have to be a, an interrogation scene or just a character scene when you can take an interrogation scene and use it to reveal the character of the detective? And I learned it from Elroy and I learned it from this because that's what that scene does. It's uh, you, you meet both the detectives in a way that you hadn't met them before and you learn this incredible story and it's revealed in this way, way you are on the edge of your seat the entire scene of like wait what happened oh i think i'm figuring out oh if she don't die i don't die and you're like wait what oh and then it all comes it's it's just truly truly a masterful scene i just i i just love it that's what i'm here to say yeah i also love the sound because you know speaking chris we were talking before about being audiophiles, I love the choices who you, who you don't hear. Mm -hmm. So where it's the sort of second tough guy of those three guys that are in interrogation, when he's hearing what's being said, yes. there's that brief cutaway to him. And he's like, oh, no, <laughs> like, no, like, don't say that. Like he, he's, he's like, he's looking up and he's like, no, no, no. But you don't hear him. I like, or you just, it's like, like barely audible in the background. I love that choice of that, that moment too. Like those little beats. That actor is I thought that a tremendous job of going in oh. in a minute and a half from the proudest, toughest dude in the room mm -hmm. to the having, job. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. To, um, you know, whimpering Sylvester Finch's name and like, he, he was incredible. And, and I wish, you know, to Chris's point, like, the one thing I would, you know, and, and Jordan, you've talked about this too, is whether it's period or not, what you put on the screen is still a choice. And they did pull back on some of the overtly racist language of the time, a lot of it, but, you know, I just wish the film, it, the, uh, looking at it today, like the one thing is, it is essentially the story of a white supremacist police force denigrating and manipulating those without power. I mean, it's, it begins with the group of Mexicans, you know, it moves through African-Americans and uh, the young woman from Boyle Heights and the, the Matt Reynolds, who is murdered and exploited and DA Lowe, who is, you know, a piece of shit, but also like, under threat of sexual denunciation, he, you know, he's turned into a whip. He goes from a, a preening, arrogant, hubristic DA to a, a withering, <laughs> bedwetting, you know, child on the floor in the face of all this, these different, this triptych of masculinity, you know, and, and I, I just, I don't have my, I don't have a conclusion on that. It's just it's something I'm more thoughtful of now though. that I probably wasn't yeah. was when I was 20, you know? Well, when, when Kevin Spacey's character is giving um, the one actor the opportunity to get his brother out of jail, and then he gets the he gets it, the lead out yeah. of him, and then he goes, keep it up, keep it up. It's like, oh, fuck. It's horrible. They suck. <laughs> they suck. It's cruel. He They're, does but, it again, so and good. he does it with Matt Reynolds. Pretend it's an acting job. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah, it's like yeah, brutal. exploitation. Those two things are so terrible. But that's what leads up to one of the greatest lines in the film is when Exley says, why did you become a cop? And he mm -hmm. says, I don't remember. Yes. And yes, 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 yes. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the whole performance in that one line that all that shit has been leading up to.
the monumental interrogation scene, great with characters. And then what's so funny is when they do go to DA Lowe, who is in his own, you know, quandary. But when he's like, what are you going to do? The good cop, bad cop routine. And it's like, once you've already seen the interrogation, you're like, oh, my friend, this is really, (laughs) this is really not going to go well for you. And I can't wait to see what Bud comes up with because it's going to be, whatever it is, it's going to be enjoyable, even as a pure voyeuristic sense, it's going to be great. I love that that low scene for that reason. And I think you're right. What's great about Elroy just satisfying us is that it's all ugly. Like it's yes. all this shiny Hollywood, hush, hush, glamour, all of it right from the get go. It's all ugly. It's all manipulation. It's all for money. And he's just nakedly candid about the human condition, which is why he's so um, voraciously consumed still to this day. And even Jordan convinced me to read American Tabloid again, which I'm now reading, uh, thanks to us discussing JFK together. Oh, because uh, I, I heard it, that conversation. It was great. Did you guys do one on JFK? Yeah, like last week. Yeah, Jordan and I did, did a little discussion about JFK because we, we had we had to talk about... It's too much um, movie, if I can say so. It, it's too, it's it too, too much, much movie. movie. Chris... You are like connected to the too muchest, too much movie scene of JFK. Oh. One of the greatest scenes of the entire movie. Like, let's just be really clear. Right, right on. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's a great scene. Let's be straight up. It's a great scene. But yeah, no, so like, again, so that's the El Royalville. Yeah. No, I think so- that. I, I, I think that that's the best thing about this podcast is like, we're going to get to these elements. Like, I, I, yeah. You know, there are these movies where you watch them and LA confidential is like the best example. And we just spent all this time talking about it where it's just like, there's so many, um, there's so many moving parts going on (laughs) and there's so many things to pick up on. Um, and it's, it's just such a complex film. And I think, you know, as we've been all talking about thinking about when you make a movie, it, it really is like, as we were talking about the cinematographer, um, for this film, like, well, what was the problem with, Black Dahlia, you know, the story's great, you know, acting's great. Yes. Like what, what is the difference between Black Dahlia and LA Confidential? It made me think of like making a cake or something like that. Like something is off <laughs> there and, and, you know, it could be the editing, it could be who knows what, but um, with, with, you know, Jordan, your point, this is a perfect adaptation from book uh, to film. Like I, I can't think of one better that really captures the, the tone of the book. I uh, I think it's pretty difficult to to come up with a with a, a second place. Um, it, 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 it the the it's hot. I mean, look, I, I I pulled out my copy of L.A. Confidential. I don't think well, certainly the people listening at home can't see it, but uh, I I, uh, I was looking at all the highlighting where I I I highlighted every time a new character is named <laughs> in the book, and there are hundreds. I literally listed all like several hundred characters in the book. There are two serial killer plots in the book that aren't even touched upon in the movie. It, it, you know, the, the book covers eight years. Um, You know, Ines Soto, the, the victim uh, is probably the Ines Soto. That's it. Yeah. An incredibly short changed character in the movie and understandably. So it's, it's tough to see how you fit her into this dynamic, but it is, you know, the, the one real person of color with any, like agency or anything like that. Um, they cut out the entire Disneyland subplot. Yeah, that's what I was, the the whole like, uh, what do they call it in LA Confidential? Like Mookie Mouse or something like it's, that? It's um, right? Dream of Dreamland. Yeah. Dream of Dreamland. Um, so creepy. I, uh, 
I once wrote on my letterbox a, a very long uh, a review of why Black Dahlia is not as good as, as this movie. And I, uh, I, I won't regurgitate. I read that. I have very strong feelings about it. But I, I think it, it's salient. It's specific. It's, Great. No, you know, and I just I think that there are enormous number of, of mistakes, but I think the the main ones they just don't get that buzzsaw tone. It doesn't. Uh, I think I think he is is too uh, removed a director. He's too in love with filmmaking. It feels like a movie. It doesn't feel like you're living in this world that you need to feel. Which is why yes. I wanted why my original conception for the pilot was like a shield like handheld cam, but set in the fifties to try as hard as possible to make a, a world of the 50s feel like you're in it. It's a very difficult thing to do. I think it's, you can see it in like the, you know, Ruth, uh, Ruth Meyer is the costume designer for the movie LA Confidential and for the TV show. Uh, she's, oh, nice. uh, yeah, um, and, and she's magnificent. And, you know, there are parts where like Kim Basinger is, uh, you know, that dress she wears is incredible. She's gorgeous. But a lot of the other choices are very muted and laid back. Like I said, there's no hats. They make a lot of decisions on how to draw people into the world. I think the casting is is very not great on Black Dahlia. Those are totally fine actors who are just not mugs. Even the very handsome people of LA Confidential, the movie, are mugs in one way or another. You know, I mean, uh, right. Russell Crowe is Russell Crowe's got, he's got dad bod. It's like the be, like he's exactly the guy you expect him to be. He's not going to be shredded. He asked. A, he's not going to. He, be he like, talked to his trainer about what should I do for this. He goes, well, it's, uh, his trainer said, well, it's set in the fifties. Uh, eat steaks and do push-ups and don't do anything else. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's how he has. He does have like a fifties tough guy bod. Um, you know, everybody in that movie has a little like ang angles to them and weirdness. I really, when I did my pilot, I was always we need mugs. I want every face to look unique. Again, you talk about Mrs. Leffert in the movie. That doesn't, no. you don't see that in, in the Black Dahlia. You've got the wrong idea, mister. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. I love her voice. My her Susie voice. was a good girl. She didn't do anything wrong. But um, I love when they ask her, do you, no, but, do, is, is that your daughter? Is that, is that your daughter? And she goes, it looks I like don't know. Susie. <laughs> it looks like my Susie. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't know because her Ruth her Myers knows. is something so, I don't know if it's her um, or Curtis Hansen, but the thing with the watches in the movie is so interesting. Like, Exley's got a Rolex, which I can only assume his father bought him. Yeah, and that would make sense. Vincennes has the very nice tie and a boulevard which is a much cheaper watch, if I'm correct. I'm, I, I'm sure. I, this is this is all you, man. You're... This is this is the well. It's it's well. Rob's I don't. Watch, I don't want to coming out. Rob's watch corner play, on yeah. too much movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't want to kill you know kill my audience for what's the time uh, new podcast, but <laughs> um, but that that, that was uh, you know Vincennes's ties popping against uh, he, he, the, the right. watch, the significantly cheaper watch, I thought was really interesting. And you brought up Exley's glasses. And I, I feel like you could do a whole podcast just tracking when he's wearing his glasses and when he isn't. And every time he goes to war until the end, like when they go in and find the night owl suspects initially, and then when he goes and becomes, you know, shotgun Ed, um, he's not way he forgets his glasses both times. 
And both of those times he's caught up in the machinery of this corrupt right. uh, plot mm-hmm. that he is unknowingly in, even though initially the when he takes the night owl call, he's not wearing his glasses. And then the, the two detectives in the bullpen walk out and leave. He puts his dete- his glasses back on. The call comes from the night owl and he springs to the phone and takes the case. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's, and, and Exley, I think, is the only man in the Bureau who has a different viewpoint on what is happening. And I know that's an old trope, glasses, vision, and all that, but it's it's singular. And I think, to, to your point in the interrogation, and, and what Dudley says, you know, he's a political animal, he sees it all in a very different way, which grows, you know. Ultimately, Exley has to become less arrogant and you know answer those que- a few of those questions he has to become more corruptible in order to find his place bud white needs to become more you know a little more moral or let that be seen and then more, more discerning more discerning thinking instead of just mm-hmm. battering right yeah and vincennes needs to become you know have more heart become less corrupt his which is so Don't great. Don't you love how he's drawn into the fight because someone touches his tie? Yeah. Just because you were talking yeah. about his yeah. massive yeah. ties. Like, that's he, the he thing looks that twice draws him into the fight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you messed my tie up. That well, and, that's and a- that moment of I don't remember, it, it, comes after, it, it comes after he sees Matt Reynolds, and that's when it all stops. He, he looks in the mirror over the drink, looks at himself, and all that glib smugness goes away, and he sees Matt Reynolds, and he just it's such a great moment of him just falling against the wall. Um, and it, it yeah. changes everything. Like, I don't know. Well, I don't that, know. I don't the, know what the, the fuck I'm talking about. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly what you're talking about. I Stop. wouldn't want to listen to Rob Belushi talking on this podcast for all the whiskey in Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> uh, I, we, we I have would. to say though that scene, the uh, the uh, the the kind of uh, riot that happens, Bloody Christmas. Bloody Christmas, you see every character very clearly in mm-hmm. that fight, you know, and that, that just sets it all up. You know, the do-gooder, the vanity, the, you know, I'm not into this, but I'll beat the shit out of you of, of Russell Crowe. Like, it all shows up really, really quickly. And, and, oh. um, oh, I, I was just gonna say, you know, Russell Crowe, his moment of violence is because the guy says, fuck your mother. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and that's another, and that's another overdubbed scene. The whole mm. scene, the audio is terrible. It must have been terrible because this is for ours, Poncho, overdubbed. And then he goes, oh, yeah, <laughs> fuck your mother, overdubbed. And that character actor is amazing. He's been in so many films. Um, and then he's been in like 5,000 films. He was, he, he was in the I'm Jurassic Park Lost World. Uh, he got eaten by a bunch of dinosaurs. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I, I always tracked him in that era because he was working so much, whatever his name is. Uh, great character actor but yeah anyways like that that scene just you know it always stands out and um again like you know this is a movie that uh yeah it just has that it's got it's got a lot of a lot of flavor in the bite you know whatever like we could you could do and i think that this is the point of the podcast (laughs) (laughs) that this pot you know this is a movie that you could do easily uh a one minute uh pod version of of, of and a one hour and I think this one is the minute best way to, yeah this is this is the best way to go out jordan and i actually talked about it 
that we could do a podcast called LA Incremental, mm-hmm. which is just <laughs> every single episode would be one minute of LA Confidential. And I was almost like, we were, we were close, we were close, but, but too much movie is what it is now. You can totally do it. And I think that the tragedy of having a brand that so uh, extensively covers our movies <laughs> is that they just can't all be covered all at the same time. There's not enough. There's not, a, there's, there's not enough me for the too much, for the too much movies that are out there. So this is why we're doing it on this. I mean, lads, I think we've done it all. I mean, we, we've talked about Susan Lefford's mother, Mrs. Lefford's. We've done impressions. We've heard about Rob harassing people by a pool in Las Vegas. We've heard about... <laughs> Jordan being fearful of uh, El- Elroy listing all of the words that can't be said on CBS. And Chris has illuminated to so many people about specifically Thomas Rahalis Jr.'s um, uh, overdubbing, go F your mother, um, as the great character actors. I think, I think, I mean, that's enough of too much movie. I think, I think. Is there anything else that we need to say to wrap up? Anything else that is just on the tip of your tongue that has to be said before we wrap? I think we should go around and say our one last thing, but I, I highly recommend uh, if you can track down anything from um, the uh, Shotgun Ride Los Angeles or go look up uh, Feast of Death on YouTube. That's definitely there. I think you'll get. A- I I have to I have to I'm going to put a link to that. It's Shotgun Freeway drives through Lost right. LA from 1995. Got Morgan Morgan Neville and Harry Pallenberger, the directors, and then. Um, that next one, James Elroy's Feast of Death from 2001, oh, directed by Vikram Jayanti. Uh, be with a loved one for that one because it is creepy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All about the Black Dahlia. Maybe even better than Black Dahlia. It is. Um, better I will than also Black link, Dahlia, 100%. I will also link Jordan Harper's Black Dahlia review on Letterboxd to the show just so that people can see that because it's thoroughly enjoyable. Um, but Rob, let's start with you, my friend. Anything else before we go? before we give the ga- uh, glamour back to the girls in Bisbee? I mean, uh, you know, I know everyone tries to see themselves in every movie. And the line that struck me in this was, when I came out to LA, this isn't exactly how I saw myself ending up. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, wear that any way you want. But uh, <laughs> I'm just ready for someone to say, well, yeah, well, get in line. <laughs> I love. It. I, no, I mean that. That I, I could go on forever, but um, this is. It's fun to talk about movies you love, and and thanks for giving this platform for me to do it with such just uh, smart, awesome dudes. It's. Uh, I'm. A, I'm a big fan of all three of yours, and it's. It's just a, a delight to be in a in an iPod in an iPad with with the three of you guys. <laughs> Jordan Harper, thank you so much for like literally unparalleled insights into this and to Elroy and to the pilot. Um, and and I I I think the like pre what is it like it's right on the line the like pre Rampart LA mm-hmm. in the eighties Reagan's eighties you know uh, LA Confidential it's a lift and drop. There's shoulder pads. There's slightly different like weird celebrity lookalike yeah. hookers. It is, it's, she, it's all they cut me to yeah, look she, like Lonnie Anderson, like anymore. you know <laughs> um look i uh look uh, i can't imagine anybody's made it this far into this podcast without already having seen the movie but like if you haven't like this is really truly one of the great movies of the 90s it's um based on one of the great books in, in american crime fiction uh my dog 
is named Elroy, which a lot of people know already, uh, helped me get the job. Um, I do want, if I can say one last thing and turn it back to the, the nice. pilot, um, which I hope someday I can't do it myself, but if it were ever to leak and go public, I would, I would not curse personally. Uh, and one of the reasons I wouldn't is because I think, you know, I'm proud of what I did, but I'm also really, really proud of the cast. And I talked about a little of them, but we were, we were really gearing up, but not just uh, Walton, you know, we talked about um, him already, but uh, Tony Curran, who, who played Dudley Smith in my pilot, Tony Curran, if you've never seen the, uh, him uh, in Doctor Who, I don't even want to spoil what he does on Doctor Who, but it's one of the great performances on TV. Um, we had, uh, you know, Bruning and Carlisle, who are, are Dudley's goons. We had uh, the amazing combination of my friend Drew Powell, who is a great big um, uh, hulking guy who, uh, you know, hands like catcher's mitts. And uh, we paired him with Charles Barker, uh, who was skinny Pete on Breaking Bad and they were gearing up to be the great <laughs> evil buddy cop duo uh, of television, which by the way, <laughs> evil buddy cop duo, um, somebody get at me. Um, you know, Sarah Jones uh, with one of the most difficult roles in the world to try and- She was build. great. Yeah, um, such a wonderful, Brian, Brian J. Smith as, as Ed Exley. Um, they were all amazing. It was, you know, I had to not read or watch this movie for a couple of years and I just last year uh, watched it again for the first time and uh, I'm glad that I'm, I'm learning to love again you know after uh, <laughs> no you know it, it, sure, it, sure, it, sure. you know we all have our, our things that got away but like man this was I was really looking forward to, to taking this all the way in but if I can't then at least this movie exists and, and, and this movie is nearly perfect so I'm really glad that you mm. guys had me on here and it was great to talk about it with you guys Absolutely. Lucky to have you, man. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an audio wrecking ball. You want to help me swing it? Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts.